you ever wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. position do you envision giving birth in? Where does your desire for how you will give birth come from? Are you worried you may poop or that your vagina and pelvic floor will never be the same? Would you like to understand the physiology of birth and ways you can find comfort and ease and even pleasure in pushing, or as I like to say, easing your baby into the world? Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali Bonaro, founder and director of Orgasmic Birth and host of the Orgasmic Birth podcast. I'm also a Lamaze childbirth educator and a donor birth and postpartum doula trainer. I've been teaching thousands of parents, doulas, and providers around the world, and I've heard so many fears and guided women and partners to address their fears with knowledge, power, and choices by understanding all the ways that people around the world have birthed upright throughout time. I've gathered many tools and tips that I hope will guide you too. One of my sayings in my classes is to stand and deliver. Don't take it lying down. So if after listening today, you find this helpful, and would positively like to prepare for birth with me, visit orgasmicbirth.com and click on parents and consider taking my online pleasurable birth essentials class or even book a private birth coaching session with me. Or if you really want to go deeper, join one of my doula workshops either online or at a retreat somewhere around the world. So I have to share yesterday, I was out taking a walk with a couple friends and there's many years from having given birth, but one is recovering from prolapse and recently had a surgery to help her bladder kind of stay up. And the other is having some vaginal prolapse. And we were wondering if the way they gave birth might have had an impact years later. And I really encourage you to think about this because so often so many people think, oh, it's just a day, right? Get the baby out. And you'll hear in kind of medical terms, right? Suck it out, pull it out, cut it out, just take it out. As long as people are healthy, that's a good outcome. But we're learning more. And you've been listening to other episodes. You know how much I value emotional well-being. So it's not just enough to survive. People must thrive in childbirth. So the way we're talked to, the way we're treated, but also the choices we have, we know that for a lot of people, knowing your options and being respected to use them makes an incredible difference. So let's talk more about that second stage of birth, because I think a lot of birth trauma happens here, both emotionally and physically. And I do think, as my friends were sharing, Both of them had three children where they were directed to give birth on their back. 
literally with their legs in the air, either on stirrups or, you know, we took away the stirrups in many cases, but we asked just people to hold your feet, which is still putting you in this lying down lithotomy position where you're pushing the biggest thing ever out of your body uphill, which makes no sense. And then because you're pushing uphill, people were around them yelling what I say, four letter words, right? Push, push, push. First of all, Penny Simpkin, my mentor, always used to say no one should let yell four letter words at people when they're giving birth. So think about that. If people around or you're watching on television, people yell, push, push, push. And the other thing that people often do is just tell you to hold your breath, keep all that energy inside and they count to 10. And we call that purple pushing, where if you're holding your breath and turning purple, then where's the oxygen for your baby? So in my friend's cases, both of them, when we were talking about it, had these things done to them. And they just assumed that was normal at that time. And I said, actually, it may be normal. It doesn't mean it's right or best for you, your baby, and certainly not your body in the short and long term. And so they said to me, well, what position did you give birth in all those years ago? And I said, I was upright. I was in a squat. And they said, how did you know about that? And I shared a bit of my story. You may have heard some of it already, but when I was little, I loved listening to my great grandmother's stories. I really appreciated all her wisdom and hear this little old lady when I was just a young girl would talk to me about moving and staying active in labor. But a big lesson was that when it was time to push, she would waddle over and lean over that kitchen sink and be in what we now call kind of an upright squat, a dangle. And she knew to use her body to birth. And so when it was time for me to birth and I was hearing all people were being put down and being told by providers to lay down, I thought, this is crazy. If my little old great grandmother knew to be upright for her eight babies, why wouldn't I trust that my body also could open in the same way? So it led to a really great walk and a really great discussion. And I thought, okay, I need to share some of this with all of you because I think there are so many ways that we can create ease and yes, pleasure in the way that we birth our babies when we are fully dilated and open and ready to ease them into the world. So one of the first things, right, you know me probably by now that I like to ask is where does your information about pushing come from? So if you needed to shout out right now, what position do you want to give birth in? Do you have a list of positions that you've explored? What have you heard or seen when you watch kind of birthing shows or when people tell you their stories? What position are they birthing in? And when you think about these positions, do you ever ask why? You know, how did that work for them? How did that feel? So let's come back into that. And I'd love, I, I wish you would, 
tell me, I'd love to hear right now. When I say, what position do you want to give birth in? Maybe you can respond to an email or go on to Instagram at our orgasmic birth and private message me. What are some of the positions that you think about when you're birthing your baby? So I want to say, not only did I learn from my great-grandmother, but now, after all these years, I've traveled around the world and interviewed thousands of people and also looked at birth art. And one thing we always see consistently in art prior to hospital birth is that women gave birth upright. And it sometimes was using a stick or a stake or a tree or leaning on a partner. They found all different ways of kneeling, squatting, leaning, standing to birth their baby. So what we're really gonna talk about is not something new. It's if we look back, and I hope you have some of the stories of your elders and ancestors that may have birthed in environments that encourage them to listen to their body and stay upright and keep moving. And you may already know some of that. If not, definitely look at some of the birth art. I often share a lot of art within my workshops. I've got quite a collection. So I hope you'll join me someday to see it. But not only do we have to think about position, we have to think about several things. And I remember years ago, I was working with some traditional midwives from some of the islands, and they had talked about that they didn't do vaginal exams at all. And I remember at that point thinking, what a great idea. Like, how many of you really like vaginal exams by a stranger on any day? And then think on the day you're laboring and giving birth. Like, we created all these rituals, as my friend Robbie Davis Floyd, a medical anthropologist, says in birth. And a lot of them were really put in when we first really moved birth from home to hospital and we medicalized it. I think of it like a conveyor belt. And it was designed, obviously, to provide good care and provide safety. But we're learning today to question a lot of those rituals and routines because sometimes what is designed at one point to help us is actually now becoming a barrier because we learned all about the hormones, right? When people don't feel safe and don't feel private, instead of their body opening to birth, they close down. And so for many people, vaginal exams are not very safe, certainly not very pleasurable when it's a stranger doing it. And these midwives saying they didn't do them, I just like lit up. And so I said, well, how do you know when someone's fully dilated and ready to push? And they looked at me like, you silly doula, right? All you have to do is look and listen. And they shared that women, when they're fully dilated, almost always throw their head back and kind of open their shoulders and back. And I said, well, what does that do? And they said, when they arch their back and put their head back, it opens up what's called the muscle of Michaelis. It's a low, little triangle in the lower spine. And when that opens, it opens the pelvis one to two centimeters. Not a lot, but when you're birthing a baby, every centimeter matters. And they showed me pictures and I started watching births and seeing 
that when I was in home births and birth centers, I always often saw that throwback and open up when we were in hospitals and people were already being put on the bed and were laying down, they still would arch back, even flat on their back on a bed. But it was always medical staff that said, no, take your chin and bring it forward, chin to the chest. And so even I had been like taught this chin to the chest, right? It was going to help you birth a baby. But these traditional midwives said, no, it's the head up and back. And the other thing they shared with me is think about breathing. And as you're listening right now, can you just take your chin as whatever's comfortable for you and bring it closer down to your chest? And when you have your chin tucked, to your chest, try to take a deep breath there and feel what it feels like. Also, when your chin is tucked tight to your chest, just kind of close your eyes if you want. Certainly, if you're walking or driving, don't do this now, do it later. And envision what does your neck feel like? What does your shoulders feel like? What does your upper back feel like? And follow that down to your spine. And how does that feel in the top of your pelvis while your chin is tucked? And now at your own pace, begin to bring your chin up and elevate it just so your head is tipped slightly back. And as you do that in that kind of throwback position, these midwives talked about, pause here and take a nice deep breath and feel what that feels like. And now think about your neck, think about your shoulders, feel what it feels like into your mid back, into your lower back. And what does the top of your pelvis feel like when your head is tipped up and slightly back? And then when you're ready, just repeat it. Roll your chin down to your chest and roll your head slowly back up. And once you felt all the different ways that your body feels, depending on where your neck is, find where your body feels the most open because never follow anyone's guide on childbirth of what's the best position. You will find the best position for you and your baby. And people that have two, three, four, five babies may give birth in all different positions because based on the position of the baby and your body with that baby, you will find comfort often in different ways, in different places. So learning to listen to your body, where just by head position is your body most open? And so really think about that because I really would question that, you know, this chin to the chest is not really an intuitive, instinctual thing. And I don't believe it works for every person. I think for some people, it's actually restricting the space, restricting your breath and making second stage even harder. The other thing that we've often been taught, right, is holding our breath. So for this one, I want you to think about it. If you happen to be an athlete, you may know this answer. But think about, I love watching Serena or Venus Williams play tennis. And if you've ever watched them, you know this, and you'll see it with other athletes too. But when they are ready to make contact with that tennis ball and hit that ball, what's the sound that they make? 
And I can just hear you all out there with me going, oh, right? There's this impact and a quick breath. And so think about it. Is that sound an inhale or an exhale? Oh, an exhale. And if you think of athletes, if you're lifting weights and you need that extra bit of energy, what do you do with your breath? Oh, out. Most athletes know that their power is on the exhale and they use breath and sound to get more power with it. So in childbirth, how could it possibly be that we've instructed generations of women now in hospital birth to hold that sound in? I hear nurses sometimes who mean well, but that's what they've been trained is don't waste your energy, hold the sound in, hold it longer. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's a long time to hold your breath. And what we know when we watch people birthing intuitively is they do kind of like Venus and Serena. They do just two to five second bursts of a hold and uh, 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 and they ease their baby out with breathing their baby into the world. There's very little holding the breath that really the power is still on that exhale. And for some people it's quiet, but for some people it's amazingly satisfying to let that sound out. If you watched our documentary, Orgasmic Birth, you actually saw Trisha who was yelling, right? Like, ah, in bursts of sound. And afterwards, when she was interviewed, she said, oh, to someone outside listening, they must have thought I was in terrible pain or something horrible was going on. But it felt so satisfying to just let the sound and the intensity out. So I really question you if when I said, what position do you envision and how do you see yourself giving birth? If it was in silence because you've thought being silent is the right thing to do, start re-questioning where your head is. How will you breathe your baby out? Because it's essential you keep breathing. Your breath is what's at this point giving the baby oxygen. And already baby is getting compressed as they're squeezed. I like to say hugged out into the world now. They're getting all this stimulation. But we need to be breathing deep and long for them. We also know that babies are helping themselves. Babies have a reflex called stepping. If you hold them over a surface somewhere for the first 10 days, they'll actually simulate walking. And then it goes away and only comes back when they literally learn to walk months later. But we're starting to learn that a lot of those newborn reflexes that are transitionary, they're actually using in utero where babies are pushing and helping themselves to wiggle out into the world. So that's where position matters, listening to your body. And, you know, I'm a big one that loves evidence and there's something called the Cochrane database and the Cochrane gathers research from all around the world, puts it together. I call it kind of making soup and stirring it and creating a systematic review, really finding what are the benefits and the risks and the alternatives of each different treatment practice intervention. 
And the Cochrane database is for the entire life cycle, but they have one division of it that's specifically pregnancy and childbirth. And they actually years ago gave pregnancy and childbirth the wooden spoon award because medicine stays much more current in other fields from research to practice. But in maternity care, we have an evidence what the research says and what the practice does gap. It is a huge gap. And so for some reason, we don't know why maternity care is lagging behind the best evidence. And a lot of that, it really rears itself when we talk about second stage, because the Cochrane database says the routine use of the lithotomy position, that's that laying back position in second stage is harmful. And like no time in medicine, right? No matter what you're going for, would do you want someone telling you to do something that's harmful? And what it says is respecting women's choice of position in the second stage of labor when they're easing their baby out is likely to be beneficial. So I do always say, if it's your choice, when I said, what position do you envision being in? And you have a reason that laying down would be helpful. That may be then the best position for you. But as I said early on, stand and deliver. Don't take it lying down. Don't let anyone put you down. It truly should be your choice. And even if you are laying down, laying on your side is so much better than laying on your back. For those of you that are with me on YouTube and you want to see a little bit, I'm going to just share a visual of a pelvis. And if we think about it, if we're laying down, this tailbone, the coccyx, is actually compressed and tucked under. And that's giving us not only less room for the baby to come out, but again, that's where we're pushing uphill. But when you're either on your side or if you were standing upright, but I'll show you on your side, this coccyx or tailbone actually can move and open up. So when you're in a position that allows it to go free, it's going to move out of the way and give you more space. But when we're doing it, if you can envision, I'm showing you laying down, but I'm going to show you the position upright. Not only will it move out of the way, but if we use some of the positions I'm about to tell you, like squatting, you're going to actually open the diameter of the pelvis an additional 20 to 25, some even say 30%. So when we're upright, not only do we get the benefit of gravity, but different positions make a lot more room in the pelvis. So take a look again from that tailbone pushed under when we have a surface under us to that tailbone moving out of the way and then some kind of kneeling or squatting, we have a lot more space. So know that birth position really, really does matter and makes such a difference. So what are some positions you might say that are good for birth? Kneeling, just on your knees. Like some people think, oh, squatting, I can't do that. So your knees are strong and you can just open your knees and be in what I like to call a kneeling squat or just kneeling and leaning forward is a really great birth position. If you follow us on Instagram at orgasmic birth, you'll see many images we have of people birthing in upright positions. And one of them is kneeling or kneeling squat. You'll also see people squatting. 
Now there's another one called the dangle, which is kind of like my great grandmother. She did it over the kitchen sink where she kind of hung in an upright squat, but you can dangle even off a hospital bed. Sometimes we'll put the partner or the doula in the hospital bed and raise the bed up to the birthing person's height. And then they lean back and use the person sitting on that high bed, use their knees to rest their elbows on. And they can hang in this upright dangle squat, which gives them more room. It elongates the torso. And for some people gives them the room that they need. The other thing that we often forget about, and you'll see sometimes in the birthing movies, is that people sometimes need more room on one side or another. As that baby's head is being born and coming down, and I'll just kind of show my baby coming in, it usually is on the head, back of the head will be on one side of the pelvis or the other. Here it's on the left side. And so sometimes even as they're turning to get ready for birth, they need a little bit more room in the side of the pelvis where the back of their head and their body is. So in that case, we do positions that are asymmetrical. We lunge and create space on one side of the pelvis or the other. And I'm going to just show you a few tools that I have here with me. I'll tell you about them too, but I always take them with me to birth when I'm a doula or for teaching. One is called the rope, and it's literally just got a little rubber knob that goes up like a little kind of black plastic string with a knob at the end that goes over a doorknob. So this could be a bathroom door in a hospital, or if you're at home, you pick a door that no one's going to open. And this stays on one side and you literally have two ropes and a handle on the other side where the person can pull and hang and kind of dangle or squat or even get an asymmetrical squat using the rope. And I love the rope, one, because it fits in the palm of my hand, so it's always in my doula bag. It only costs like $20, and I find that I can help almost any baby be born more gently with it because there's always a door somewhere I can hang it over. They've got two handles. And when we think of squatting, when we think of birthing, often people want to pull and push. It's like there's two opposing forces and it feels so good to find the position that your body feels most open. Some people feel really open in an upright squat. Some people need to be in a low squat. Again, all our bodies are unique and what we need for that baby is always a little different. Now, if you're listening again, driving or walking, you might not want to do this right now, but Come back to this, remember it. And if you're at home with me, I hope you'll do it right now. I'm gonna ask you just to find the top of your pelvis. Where is that pubic arch, that hard bone in the front of the pelvis? And then find your tailbone, kind of dig into the back of the pelvis and find that tailbone, that coccyx. And while you're holding both of them, lean back like you're in a hospital and feel what happens to those two bones when you lean back. 
and then come up and lean forward. And as you lean forward, feel what's happening to those two bones. Now I want you to do it again and stay low if your body can do it. Listen to your body and lean way back. And then as you come forward, open your legs a little bit into a squat. And what you'll find, right, is that you're going to easily feel that your pelvis can move and there's a place where you feel smaller and a place where it feels bigger. And for most people, the minute you start to lean back, you feel that pelvis, like I was describing, start closing down. There's less space. When you were leaning forward, that tailbone is opening up and you're getting more space. And when you opened your legs, then even more room in the pelvis. So when you get asymmetrical, you can feel that again, if you were to put one knee down and one leg up kind of in a lunge position, you're going to make more room on one side than the other. The pelvis is very flexible. And at the end of pregnancy, there's a hormone called relaxin that's released. And relaxin is designed to let those ligaments open and stretch even more. So positions really matter. The rope is just fantastic for getting asymmetrical or squatting. I have another one. It's my new favorite toy. It's called a sling. I'll actually drop it into the show notes because it's one of the products that I love. I have several products right now that I am partner with, but only things I really support. And the sling is one of them. So definitely take a look at that in the show notes there. And the other thing is birth stools. And I've often been a fan of birth stools because again, most people don't want to squat for long and having a stool that they can sit on that simulates their squat, but without carrying any weight. Most home birth midwives, most birth centers have birth stools. A few hospitals do. We need to be getting more of them. More hospitals need to have, like years ago, just simple tools. The beds that we have in hospitals in many places cost between twenty dollars and $30,000. And they're really designed for birthing in the bed, often in laying down postures. Now, we can break the bed apart, and some beds have squat bars. So you definitely want to ask. If you're birthing in a hospital and touring, you know, what do they have squat bars? Do they offer a rope, a sling? What things and tools do they have for facilitating you birthing upright? Now, I did start off the beginning, like what are your fears, right? And for a lot of people, it's pooping. So I just want to share that. Yes, we should consider that about half the people when they're giving birth and they're feeling they have to birth a baby, the first feeling is I've got to go to the toilet. And it feels like the biggest bowel movement of your life, right? My friend said to me years ago, and if there are little people or other people around, I hope you have earbuds in because she said to me, it's not like having a poop. It's like shit in a watermelon. And I was so glad that she told me that because it's an unbelievable feeling of this baby moving down. But it is important to know that 
I've been told our creator put all these openings close together and we're learning now why that the microbiome that is in both poop and coming through vaginal secretions and blood and that is really essential for colonating the baby's gut and intestinal flora. And I'll talk more about that another time, but just look into that because sometimes in a fear of pooping, you're not realizing that it's a healthy part of birth. Your caregivers are great, midwives, nurses, doctors, they just wipe it away. You're, no one's gonna talk about it. And for many people, it isn't that much at all, if any, but certainly if pooping is a big fear and it's gonna hold you back from pushing, talk to your caregiver about that. Sometimes people will choose at some point in labor to do an enema, but always do that with your caregiver's knowledge because enemas can also be ways of inducing and speeding up labor. So if you choose any of that, do. But the other thing I really hear a lot about is that the perineum will never be the same, that either they'll be cut or torn and that that will lead to less sexual satisfaction for their partner, pain for themselves. And as you heard from walking with my friends at the beginning, leading to short or long-term prolapse and other issues. So I want you to think about this. These are really important things to consider. And one of the things that's going to influence your risk of having a tear or a cut called an episiotomy, and the biggest one, I think, is your caregiver. So choosing where you're going to give birth and with whom is so important when it comes to your pelvic floor and vaginal health and well-being for short-term and long-term. And I have to say, many years ago now, probably 20 years or more, I was at a big conference and at a birthing dinner. And one of the people there, Dr. Michael Klein, was talking to me and he said, if you could only ask your caregiver one question, what would it be? And I thought for a second and it was like, this is a trick question, right? Because I could never just ask them one. I have a million questions I want to know if I'm going to turn my body and my baby over to someone. And he said, but there is one that would be the most important. And he stumped me and I said, okay, I don't know. What's the one? And he said, what's your episiotomy rate? And I said, why? And he said, because if someone cuts episiotomies regularly, they don't see birth working. They see birth as something that needs help and needs an intervention. And if they do that, he said, I can guarantee they have higher cesarean birth rates. They have higher induction rates. They use technology and interventions more because their paradigm is they have to help you to give birth. But if someone has a very low episiotomy rate, they see birth as whole. They have a practice more designed to facilitate people listening to their own body and have they've learned ways to help birthing people to give birth in the safest way with their own ability. And I have to say, I thought that was brilliant, so much so that I've been quoting him all these years and I now actually agree. Now, thankfully, episiotomy rates have really dropped in the last 20 years. And so I work with a lot of providers that don't even remember the last time they cut one. And I'm so grateful for that. 
but you need to check. There still are practices in many places that are cutting episiotomies 20%, 30 40 50% or more of the time. And basically the literature says a pediziotomy should only be used in an emergency. It's another thing that's considered harmful. And basically we should reserve it to when there's a true emergency, a baby that helping them to be born a few minutes sooner would make a significant difference to their health and well-being. So really ask that question. And not only what's your provider's rate of episiotomy, what's their rate of tears? Again, people that work with people that birth upright, listening to their body, following their own breath, really supporting the physiology of birth are going to have a much lower tear rate as well. And we know that typically this is the midwifery model of care. Midwives have lower rates of forceps, vacuum, and both of those increase your risk of tearing an episiotomy. And epidurals as well, because epidurals often lead to more forceps or vacuum and episiotomies. So, so often our procedures domino and those earlier decisions then impact the way we're actually choosing our position and birthing our babes. So lots for you to think about today. And I hope that I've given you a lot of food for thought because what we know is that your body is designed to open and stretch and let your baby out. And if you remember from one of my earlier episodes, I shared with you that even though I gave birth in a time where episiotomy was just standard normal procedure, I said to my caregiver, if you don't cut me, I won't cut you. And I was really serious because I said to him, I know you trust that your body and your penis can change shape and grow multiple times in a day and it's fine. And I believe that my vagina and perineum was designed in the same way. It's just, I need the same conditions. I need to feel safe. I need to feel private. I need to find my own position. I need to listen to my body and my rhythm and my baby and breathe my baby into the world. So I hope that you will really consider what's your knowledge about what position to give birth in? What tools will be there for you? How experienced is your provider? What's their rate of upright birth? Are they using birth stools, ropes, slings, birth balls, peanut balls? Are they really supporting people upright? And I know as a doula that many times I've been with caregivers that they never learned anything thing, but catching babies when women are on their back, pushing uphill. And one by one, it's been often when I'm with someone who just decides, no, I'm going to stand and give birth. I'm going to squat and give birth. And when they're asked, you know, you can lay down now, or please lay down now. They've said no. And I've watched caregivers sweat and worried because they didn't know how to catch upright. 
But after a beautiful upright birth, they too started learning to trust birth. So we are in a time of change. It's a time where more and more providers are learning that the best way to give birth is to trust women, to trust birthing people, that they have the knowledge, their body that grew the baby has the knowledge of how to birth the baby. So I hope you'll find your position for birth. And please write to me. If you've given birth, I'd love to hear what position you give birth in. And if you'd like to share your birth story and your birth positions with us, I'd love to feature you too on our Orgasmic Birth Podcast. So wherever you are today, I hope to hear from you. And I hope this episode inspired you or that you'll share it and rate us. How are you enjoying our podcast? And let me know other topics that would support you in having orgasmic birth and pleasurable parenting. Thanks for listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe.